Fraser, how are we? Wonderful, how are you? I'm good, thanks mate, I'm good, thanks. So we've sat across a table talking crap loads of times before, but it normally involves a pint, so this feels a wee bit different, doesn't it? Half past ten in the morning, sober. Uh-huh. I was going to say, the last time I spoke to you at this time in the morning, I think we were coming home from somewhere. Probably. Uh-huh. Aye, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, full of fear and regret. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent. So, um, I always like to introduce the guests so people have a feeling of... of what we're going to talk about. So husband and father, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get in the wrong side of Claire. She's okay. a formidable woman. Feisty. Feisty woman. Um, owner of, uh, was it Glen? Glen Tour, tax store and stables, yeah. Okay, how, we, long, you, uh, how long have you had that now? Ironically, it, uh, it's 18 years tomorrow. 18 years. Tomorrow. Oh. 11th of November, 2005. Got the am- keys for it. That's amazing. Um, we'll touch on that. Yeah. Um, after that, managing director of Dixon's of Forests Motor yep. Group, yep. Um, selling roughly two and a half thousand cars a year, fifty million pound turnover. Uh, you're launching new brands underneath that, from Cars R to another couple that we'll, we're going to talk about. Um, and I guess the last one is frustrated rock star or singer or. Yeah, and that's kind of my my guilty pleasure a wee bit, isn't mm-hmm. it? I think um, when you spend a, a lifetime admiring everybody that does that kind of thing and then realise you can hold a tune and, and pull an audience together. So I went from being a wedding singer for 10 years <laughs> to, to I still do it. I, uh-huh. I've, still, I've still got a band, but called Close Enough. Close um, Enough. And that's because when we learn a song, it's not quite right, it's Close Enough. <laughs> it's Close Enough. And uh, we get out on stage and still play, yeah. <laughs> so one of the, the reasons I was keen to get you on the podcast, um, I met you when I was about probably 16, 17 and most of us at that time were quite happy working part-time in shops, trying to get enough money to go out at the weekend, but you're already hard at it. You were already wheeling and dealing. You were out selling. You're out taking risks, and you've maintained that the whole time I've known you. So you're, you're, you've always kept going, which is fairly impressive. And you, even at a young age, you had a very simplistic view in life when it came to selling and building businesses. A lot of people try and make it massively complicated, whereas you've always had the, the skill to say, well, actually, it's not that complicated. If you do these things right and do them enough, you'll probably get a wee bit of success. So hopefully that comes through when we're, um, when we're chatting. But one of the things, I've, and I've actually thought about you at school because when I, when I met you in a three-piece um, suit, didn't <laughs> know you had a lot more money than you actually did. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So Perceptions are brilliant. You're only 17-year-old in a three-piece suit. So uh, uh, I take it school wasn't for you then? No, no. I think... Uh, the curriculum in any school and even today it's not really changed much unfortunately and I'd love to be a bit of an ambassador of change for that if it's at all possible the curriculum sticks to really historic values that does it have any of us today really sit down and have to work out the area of a circle ever and, and but yet we were thundered <laughs> into, not now, not now uh-huh. thundered into believing that if we failed it we were a failure forever so um, my mum and dad put Barry Knight a really good school in Bear's Den and uh, for the best of reasons for the best education but it was quite a quite a strict uh, Education. I don't mean that it wasn't a private school or a boarding school or anything like that, but it was certainly very pro-academic. So if you were going to fail their classes, you're going to fail your prelims, fail your prelims, you're going to fail the exams, fail the exams. The school didn't want to know you, um, and naturally everybody was to go to university. Um, and the school trained people or taught people or educated people for further education. So there was that lots of teachers come out of that school, lots of educators and, and lawyers and people in the professional services, which is handy now knowing them. Uh-huh. Uh, so. <laughs> It's handy that the friends you grew up with are now lawyers and uh, accountants, accountants and, and stuff like that. So we get to tap into that. But no, I had a real difficulty grasping the importance of it at the time. And it is important, it's important because these people are in these occupations now. I didn't find it at all entertaining. 
Uh, there was nothing that could grasp my attention span long enough in any of these classes for me to be. So I found, um, obviously, um, my old man's in the motor trade and always had been and found that environment more exciting. And, and my mum was a teacher, so it was almost ironic. that the young, um, the young. Yes, yeah. and my mum worked really hard, did 100 hours a week when Barry and I were growing up and he's 73 and still had that, albeit working from home, still in the motor trade. Um, so I realised very quickly, if you weren't academic, then the only way you would get ahead was to do double the hours anybody else was willing to do because they might be able to get that interview off the back of the academic qualifications. I didn't have any. Mm-hmm. So the only way I was really going to get ahead was to double up the hours and turn up earlier and leave later and dress smarter and listen more and read more. So um, I was blag. determined. Say again. And blag. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. I, I absolutely lied my way through the first 10 years of my career. There's no question <laughs> about that. Did we all? Did we all? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so... Into the, the motor trade. What age were you? I started first? in um, December 1997. So what does that take me to? I was uh, 17-ish. Uh-huh. Yeah. 17. Was that Arnold Clark? No, I, start, no. I actually started in, uh, in a company called SDM Toyota in Falkirk, which is still there, privately owned Toyota dealer, with some of the craziest owner-operators, some of them are still in it, mm-hmm. um, that I've ever been introduced to in my life. Mo man wouldn't get me a start because he wanted me to stick in an academic and go to, go to uni like Barry and stuff, and it wasn't for me. Um, but no, I joined in there at 17 as a trainee car salesman and failed at it, like you wouldn't believe. Really? Oh, smashed cars. Made mistakes, forgot to take deposits. <laughs> you, you name it, Daddy, I've done it. Um, spent 18 months trying not to get fired. It was really what I, what I did. Uh, Do you remember that when you get a green person in through the door now? I have got the biggest heart on the planet, I think, um, and I think everyone deserves a chance. I'm much, much slower nowadays at recruiting, so I don't hire fast anymore because mm-hmm. you hire fast to fill a gap and, and regret it later. So I take my time hiring. You always right know people. when you're hiring, it's a mistake. You do, yeah. It's like a panic buy, yeah. isn't it? I need a bum in yeah. a seat. Yeah. You'll do. And it's almost because you're still the per- you've, you've either had to uh, create the vacancy for whatever reason or the vacancy's been created because whatever's happened in that person's life or you've expanded or whatever. Um, but to try and I'm still very pro in hiring people well plates because I want everyone deserves a chance to learn like I did um, but I pay a lot more money now and just get the right people uh-huh. um, and it, it makes life easier which isn't necessarily the right thing but I've got a lot of apprentices coming through as well you can imagine I've got a workforce of 82, 83 people and um, I've got some people that will retire in five, six years time so I've got apprentices coming through um, to replace them in all different disciplines of the business um, but I, I think uh, Square Deal Motors, SDM Toyota, was an education, like an absolute education. So um, Barry used to call me a car, not a car salesman, because it was a year before I'd sold it. And, um, <laughs> I used to get teased for it uh-huh. and it swung about my three-piece suit, my three-quarter line jacket, my shiny shoes, my fancy fake watch and my company demonstrator, but I actually wasn't very good at it. Because you always had nice cars. Yeah, I've always uh, had cars. So uh-huh. Ironically, I'm not that interested in cars. It sounds funny, I've been watching my whole life. I like old cars, I like classic cars, mm-hmm. motorbikes and type of thing but um, modern cars and modern technology and all the buttons don't actually do much for me so how did you go for being a useless salesperson to running branches because you were very very young the first time yeah, that you ended up and got a, got a sight to run uh-huh. um, I've had this kind of advantage and it maybe will continue to be an advantage I don't know I always looked older than I was mm-hmm. so um, I remember hearing a while ago that I was the youngest sales manager general manager that was ever appointed in the Arnold Clark organisation but I don't think they did it off the back of 
uh, let's hire this really talented young guy. They probably thought I was 45 because <laughs> I, I actually looked a lot older than I was. I acted a lot older than I was, dressed a lot older than I was. Uh, but no, I'd, I'd left Square Deal Motors and went through um, another couple of small privately owned sites within a kind of two and a half year period of time, three year period of time. By the time I was 19, 20, I'd, I'd joined the Arnold Clark Group and the, the very famous McHargs, which was in Castlebank Street in Glasgow, it was owned by Arnold Clark, um, still is a new fancier uh, set of establishments. But this was. I bought a Nissan 200 days. Sex from, from that very from one that site uh-huh. um, from me no no, no, it, wasn't no, for, no. it wasn't from you um, and then the engine ceased two oh, years okay. later <laughs> <laughs> well the site wasn't all about that it was a, the site was an Austin Rover site yeah. a Rover site and uh, Rover of course for a lot of people nowadays don't think a Rover's a Range Rover it was far from that uh-huh. um, Rover Metros and Rover 200s and stuff but it was the first ever motor store that had ever been in, 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 invented in Scotland and it sat with like easy seven 800 cars but I was one of 35 car salesmen there um, and I joined thinking at a scale of 1 to 10 I was, I was a solid 8 and realised very quickly I was a 2 <laughs> um, these these guys were a different kettle of fish and, yeah. um, and some of them not all of them but some of them actually took the time and, and were keen to show you and, and some of these guys I keep in touch with now uh, some are older some are dead some are it was a long time ago 20 mm-hmm. odd years ago and, um, it's quite a brutal environment that I must uh, like, there was people there was people fired every day and it's did, commission only as well isn't yeah, it yeah well, just about back, back more or less, it was 100 quid a week more or less basic salary and a car um, and uh, the 100 quid a week was nothing to do with your basic salary or um, whatever it was maybe turned on you know I think they put it up at one point 125 quid a week mm-hmm. right. they, it was just to make you turn up it was, mm-hmm. it was so that you turned up for the meetings in the morning um, but it was all commission led but the money was one thing the money was just to keep score and you wanted to make sure that you were getting better bear in mind as well like that I had nothing else so I didn't have a fallback position I didn't have a trade I didn't have a I'll go back to college or uni I'd failed pretty much everything uh, but a driving licence and the DVLA and the police have been trying to take it off me now for 23, <laughs> 23 and a half years uh, maybe longer but uh, so I it was a fight Danny in the early days and uh, motors, uh, the school and then right through into, into my cargs but uh, a guy called Scott Willis is the sales director and Arnold Clark retired uh, a handful of years ago he gave me a chance to run a branch and uh, I certainly never regret it I hope he doesn't uh, regret <laughs> it he gave me a chance to run the branch and then I went from there and I've run lots of them because uh, running running some of these Arnold Clark, Clark branches at what, 2021 or something like that they're actually substantial businesses by their own right if yeah, you, yeah. If you if you're, yeah. you're, you're these individual sites back then were turning over four million pounds a year maybe and things were cheaper then than they are today so that played a lot of, a lot of it but I didn't really have an understanding of how workshops worked and how parts departments worked because hey, you're no selling motors at that point are you you're, uh, you're actually into run a business mm-hmm. and down to basic principles of how do you motivate staff and how do you restock once you've sold something mm-hmm. and um, in every part of the business and somebody phones in site the phone's in site for the fourth time how do you deal with it um, when the training really back then was you get handed the alarm code <laughs> for the premises <laughs> and, uh, you didn't have your HR on board no, or, that. No. no no there was no there was nobody you could phone other than whoever put you in the role in the first place for uh-huh. some help but at that time Mr Clark and Scott Willis had I don't know 70 sites to run um, I was just a kid that went in full of enthusiasm probably caused them more problems than good to begin with but you learn um, and I'm grateful uh, for them giving me the opportunity because without it what, uh, where would we be today? You've always spoke highly of your time in Arnold Clark anytime you, you, it comes up 
Um, uh, yeah, it's funny phone. because they're, 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 they're some of the ones you don't speak so oh, highly about. Ah, you know, absolutely. Aye, uh-huh. yeah, they were good to me, and I think yeah, I worked really hard for them. Um, and maybe, hopefully, they, they, they remember the same thing because Mr. Clark's uh, dead and, and Scott Ellis is retired. They were the two people that I worked for. But no, they were really good. I don't know why they took a liking to me, but they took a liking to me. And if they'd asked me to go up in the middle of the night and paint their house, I would have just said, What colour? I was absolutely devoted to the cause. So, Arnold Clark, the person at that mm-hmm. point, not the, 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 he clearly. By that point, you'd already made probably hundreds of millions of pounds um, selling selling cars. Was he still hands on? Was he still involved in the business? Uh, so this was back two thousand, maybe two thousand and one. Um, the biggest site I looked after for them was in, in York Hill Quay, and uh, it was a Ford site in the end. And it's now the Transport Museum. I think they knocked it down Aye. and built something on it. Um, it's funny to drive by and think, oh, I used to work there. But I had Mr. Clark used to come in every Tuesday, and at that time he'd lived in uh, Killern or Balfron or wherever he stayed, and and he drove round the branches as often as he could and sometimes you would see him two or three times in one week and other times you wouldn't see him at all he still took the meetings it was his it was very much his train set and then as he got older of course thankfully the infrastructure and the organisation was there to make it even bigger and better and the machine just kept on multiplying and it, and it still is to this day a lot of great lessons to be learned from the man not only that but the way the organisation runs but there are others I mean um, when I came out of Arnold Clark I had some time with Douglas Park um, and I had some time with English PLC which has been dragging um, and as much as there's nothing on either of these two organisations I'd pretty much learned everything that I could have learned from anybody at that time from the Arnold Clark group there wasn't anything fresh to learn from these two groups unfortunately mm-hmm. um, so I, I'm, maybe when it, it's like the person that gives you your first chance your first real chance yeah. you just for all the wrong they've ever done you always just admire the good that they did for you because when you left Arnold Clark um, I can always remember you know, watching from afar, and you always looked a, a little bit lost. That you didn't want to work for somebody else. You were fed up listening to somebody else's plan. You always thought either you knew better or you thought you knew better. I'm still not quite sure what one it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, today. Um, and you always struggled with that going into these different organisations. I've pretty much struggled with them my whole life. I mean, right through school. And if you ask my mum and dad, would tell you the same thing. I asked Barry. Um, I don't struggle to do what I'm told. I struggle to do what I'm told without understanding why I'm doing it. Uh-huh. And and they, they might have gone to great lengths to explain to me why I, why I should do it, but even at that, to try and get my head around it. So I've always struggled with it, and uh, I just struck a chord. I think my couple of the individuals in the Clark group where I believed in them, and no matter what they told me to do, I just thought it was the right thing to do, and I did it. People I've met after that that came out with all sorts of wild instructions, um, and one of the things you touched on when we first started talking was the simplicity of it. Um, Mr. Clark as an individual was really good at explaining the simplicity of it when other organisations were full of pie charts and bar graphs and um, projections for this and projections for that when there was a lot of gut feel came into the motor trade back when um, when I was carving out my career and running it but even today uh, from not to diminish the roles in a, in a motor business but from drivers to volunteers right up to my co-directors that run the company with me um, I, Occasionally, there's only a handful of them that will, that will turn around and go, no, you're wrong. Aye, that's fine. Um, so, and that, I still have to listen to them. Um, but no, you become... You don't a, want to be surrounded by yes folk either, but no, it's you dangerous. Don't grow, no, me, Danny, no. Uh, you don't grow. And, uh, and I've done a bit of soul searching recently, wondering, do I actually know what I'm talking about? Or have I just got a friendly way of convincing folk I do? <laughs> um, but when you're a salesman, then that's what you are. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with a bank. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with franchises, dealing with members of staff, dealing with problematic situations, or um, trying to get the 
business to the next level. You're always selling. You're always selling the next thing. Uh, I'm absolutely plagued with optimism. I mean, there's not yeah, a negative. There's not, a negative, there's not yeah. a negative bone in my body, um, and I, I f find it really difficult to be in negative situations. I find it difficult to listen to the news. I find it difficult for anybody to tell me we can do it. Um, I remember somebody telling me a long time ago that out of nothing other than absolute determination I'll hammer the square peg into the round hole just to prove the point that can be done <laughs> when maybe if I had taken a step back waited a wee bit longer or whatever I would have got a round peg aye, aye. aye. <laughs> other than this is what I've got this is a hand I've been dealt and I'm mm -hmm. going to make it work with this so um, been on hugely optimistic and I think uh, you've kind of got to be um, unless you have another angle I don't have another angle um, I'm hugely optimistic but I come out of uh, retailing cars or running businesses and, and the bit of the journey that was in between where I am now and there as I, I set up a consultancy business I had for six years and took me into England Northern Ireland and worked away for six and years that, that was a bit I always loved having a, a chat with you about because um, you were going into basically predominantly failing businesses yeah. um, or something wasn't right that's why they're getting consultants in people aren't saying this is perfect let's get a consultant in to tell us why it's perfect there's normally, normally something up so see when you're going about all these different businesses and regardless um, if it's a car garage or whatever it is when businesses start to get in distress or stuff starts to go wrong what's the common themes when you go in so you open the door you're normally looking for the first three things is it that manager's useless the processes what where, where do you focus? People, people and process are really important. And in, in the motor trade, I'm sure it's in all under, other industries. I've been in a handful of others, but predominantly it was the motor trade. I was in some high-end kitchen retailer. I was put in a law practice for a wee while. I was in some engineering firms. And anywhere there was human beings still in the process, I could improve it normally. Mm -hmm. But the three Ps, we called it, which was, of course, the people, the process, and the product. So the product had to be right. It was quite hard to sell the product if it's not right. Uh -huh. um, the processes that you follow, providing that they aren't uh, onerous for everyone, for the customers especially and for the, the individual trying some to businesses forget that they're actually trying to sell don't absolutely they? Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. yeah I think you know we find that I'm saying we it started off with me and then we built the company up um, to, to having there were six of us and before I handed it back to the other five guys and went on to, to the company I'm in now um, the brutal honesty of it shocked people so of course you go and I remember getting into Slough I think it was the first place I worked at. so from a Glasgow motor trade guy getting sent into it was a chain of Oxall sites that were privately owned in Slough um, and I remember the very first conversation on the very first day with the managing director and he was talking about a member of staff he had that was a sales manager and how the guy was absolutely brilliant and they would be lost without him he did absolutely everything right it was just like the best thing that ever happened to the company and I said what, how did he take that when you told him that He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, that, this guy that's irreplaceable, that's the best you've got, that you couldn't have your life without him. Uh, how did he take it when you told him? Oh, no, we've not told him. Yeah. Why? Why have you not told him? And then further down the same conversation, oh, I've got this member of staff, and they're absolutely hopeless, and they're never in in time. And you know what the answer is? Going, how did they take that when you told them you weren't happy with them? Oh, no, mm. we've not told them. Aye. Why? Um, so uh, very, very quickly to get the loose focus of to ask me, why do some businesses, they start to worry about the things um, that they've been told to worry about. So they start to worry about the things, the product, the manufacturers tell them to think about, the wholesalers tell them to think about, they start to worry about things, the banks tell them to think about. They make the absolute overwhelming 
overwhelming mistake and visit their accountant and, and take their um, agenda and what they should do in order to sell more products when accounts sadly are in the past. They can only tell you what happened up to yesterday. See if um, you let banks run your business, you're screwed. Yeah, you're yeah, abso absolutely you're screwed. You need to be on side with them. Uh -huh. um, and at the end oh, of the day, the absolute necessary evil. Yeah, but yeah, if, yeah. If, if you are solely focused on what bankers care about, yeah. your business will never grow. No, it's a shame. Yeah. And then most of them typically are, are brought up to be risk adverse and um, and accountancy is very much the same. It's, it's risk adverse and without uh, adversity, without having a, somebody that's entrepreneurial or somebody that's willing to take a risk. Um, risk taking in business is risky. You know, that sounds terrible, but you get risk takers that still want to finish at half five and go home. Mm -hmm. And that'll never work for them. If you're a risk taker and you've taken the risk, then if you're carrying the can, you better be willing to stay awake all night to follow it through. Uh -huh. uh, but a lot of people don't know willing to do that. They think they're a risk taker, but they're a risk taker right up until the football's on that night or their pals are going to the pub. And you'll remember the many times I never made it to the pub. Uh -huh. um, so th th a lot of people, I missed a big chunk of uh, the social side of my life where you guys were all up at the boat or whatever. I wasn't uh -huh. there. And it wasn't because I was working really hard. It was normally because I'd fuck something up on the Wednesday. And yeah, what <laughs> oh I was going to work through the night and do another 100 hours to try and turn it good mm -hmm. um, so if you're going to take a risk then you need to be willing to, to ante up and, uh, and chew up and see it through and how did you deal going into um, any organisation so you're, sometimes you were bought on, in by a kind of owner operator somebody who maybe ran the business for a length of time took a step back like other people doing it and it, it's, it's starting to slide so you're then put into a, a, a boardroom a meeting room with a guy who thinks he's doing a good job. Why are you here? I'm doing nothing wrong. What can you tell me? And I guess there's no point in going head to head with that, is there? No, I think, uh, and some of my uh, my colleagues did. So, of course, uh -huh. some of my colleagues um, thought the job was to go in and. and Give people around. Oh, I <laughs> when, when actually, if you didn't have them on site, you couldn't do it on your own. Uh -huh. You know, anybody can go into any business, highlight all the failings, fall out them all, they all work out, and then you're on the boat yourself. <laughs> and, and it's never actually going, you're not going to get anywhere, uh -huh. you'll sink. So, um, see, so I actually need them on site. It might be over a period of time that there's some replacements have to be made, or there's some selection process that people are in the wrong roles, doing the wrong thing. And you have to establish that, but um, you've got to do that through kind of a bit of guided discovery where they almost come up, come up with it themselves. Business owners, if they are, um, especially if they've been in it a long time, if it's a fresh business owner, it's a wee bit different. The fresh business owners tend to be a wee bit more shoot from the hip. They'll try anything desperately right. to get it to work. People that have been in it a long time and there's various things that have changed in the industry or they've not kept up with what's happened in the industry um, or what's happening in the market or how consumers behave, um, sometimes they need to come away from it a wee bit and then be coming away from it they can see it a bit more consultants are funny um, because you're the absolute plague of everybody's life and there's a there's a set of words that are used and that's what's a consultant a consultant somebody that borrows your watch to tell you the time <laughs> um, but if yeah. you if you actually have a, a real uh, desire for doing it I did it for a couple of reasons one because it was my job I get paid to do it but never in all the time I was there if anybody was unhappy with anything that I'd done I would never have billed them so I would never actually have forced an invoice on them if they weren't happy I wouldn't have done it and I Take them, I'd tell them that at the start they'd never believe you um, but if we fell out one day because sometimes I was down on a daily rate and that day what I was telling them they didn't want to hear I was saying well listen what we'll do is we'll see the day out anyway I'll tell you everything I've got to tell you and I'm not billing you for today 
I'll no. give you this bit for nothing because for it to sit in your gut and not like it and have to pay it it's going to be really ah, difficult yeah, no, for you um, but you'll go home and sleep night tonight and tomorrow you'll phone me and I'll be back in the next day and we'll solve it normally we did uh, but I met some great friends some great people um, in the consultancy business I was put in by one of three reasons I was either put in initially by the manufacturer because in their eyes the business was underperforming which was difficult because Did they have some, a lot of control to manufacture? Yeah the manuf- depends how your do business is money, run Do they lend money? Do they? All of that right. I mean your, your credit line could be with them um, right, okay. your uh, whole stocking process could be through the manufacturer So they're saying we're putting this guy in oh, they got the need to do If you lose the franchise what you're left with you're left with a portal frame building What you actually left with Nice tiles on the floor It's like any shop take the branding off the front what's it worth so and don't get it wrong the manufacturer's not always right but they there's an ego that sits in all businesses and if your ego's too big and you believe that you're bigger than the manufacturer your manufacturer's worldwide I mean you'd, a lot of people think that we're going to take a company and let's call it Joe Bloggs Renault and think that they're going to be getting the whole nation to follow them off the back of their name nobody's ever heard of them you need to realise the fact that Renault's a, whether it's good bad or indifferent it's a world renowned name and if you can actually exploit the benefits of the brand in the first place you'll get it to work but um, just as I was talking about did you tell that member of staff that they were good or they weren't good I've been going to businesses and they had like great product, great product positioning. It was maybe, I don't know, it could be a Vauxhall Mocha and a PCP at 229 quid a month. Every mum in the land's buying one of these, but they hadn't told anybody they had them. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, you've got six of these in the company, there's one in the showroom, there's no endless supply of them coming from the factory, they're great value for money. It's quite a hot car right now. Uh, where have you got that advertised? Oh, we have the okay. <laughs> let's start with that then. So let's look at all the different angles from your existing customer base to how the sales and are contacting them to how we're putting this on social media. Are we doing some videos with it? What are we doing to get that product out there in front of the right people? Um, and it's all about telling people and tell the sales what we're doing, communicate the information. Um, everybody thinks driving a business or, or owning a business is either hard on people. Um, I give the perception that I'm hard on people, but I'm not. I'm not hard on people. Um, I'm hard on the right people, um, but I'm not. People hard struggle with honesty. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I'd, I've been occasionally called blunt in my, my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and people really struggle when you give someone a very, very honest piece of feedback. Yeah, and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah, and the the seat is rude, and it's not many is rude. No, it's. Uh, I would rather someone was very honest. I love the saying in that is I'm really sorry about these really honest horrible things I'm about to say because <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's pretty much what happens isn't uh-huh. it and, uh, but no you're right I think uh, it's not fair to kid somebody on no. as well mm. um, it goes on for, it goes on for too long and mm. then a slow, um, a slow no or a slow mm. death is not, not a nice thing no. and it's not good for the individual either no. you can tell you know, we're all just animals in the jungle at the end of the day you can tell you can tell if your boss doesn't like you <laughs> you know uh-huh. um, and you can also your boss can tell if you don't like him and uh, him or her and the conversation's got to be had it's a, it's a short life to waste five years of it ten years of it hating your boss every night going home the worst ones for me is when you actually really like the person and either they're lazy I mean you're, you're very very capable but lazy or are such a lovely person but they've just no got it I think uh I've got a set of phrases. I've got lots of phrases. One of them when it comes to that scenario is you either don't know or you don't care. If you don't know, I'll take audition on you. Mm -hmm. If you don't care, that's not much I can do, really. Mm -hmm. And we'll establish quite quickly. And sometimes I've asked members of staff that, do you know? I know what I'm doing right well. (laughs) That would mean you don't care. And I don't tend to 
surround myself with people that don't care? Do you think we can change that? Do you think we can change how much you care about it? Mm. Or do you just not care enough to care about it? Which is fine. Uh, uh, which is okay. Uh -huh. But I, I need to stop uh, relying on you or depending on you because I'm depending on everybody here to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And if you don't care enough about it, let's get you into another career uh, that you do care about. And uh, and they normally go to that meeting going, oh, somebody's actually been ridiculously honest with mm -hmm. me. We're too scared of HR. There's nothing wrong. We don't have an HR division, Danny. I'm HR, uh, which is worrying. Oh, uh, <laughs> which is worrying. Um, and uh, somebody was in, a guy from a, a director of a, a wholesale building company was in seeing me recently and asked me how many people I had in my marketing division. I'm like, oh, be me and Craig and Jim and the rest of the team that chip in. I don't have a marketing division. Um, I'll be able to lean on some of the manufacturers, obviously, for theirs. And uh, who'd I have, how many people have got my HR? team when I'm sitting thinking oh, God if I miss something here I've got 80 odd members of staff maybe I should have HR but um, it, no I don't, I don't I'm quite honest with them you have to be we run out of time eventually mm -hmm. and, I, and I always wonder sometimes I'm lying awake all night worrying about that individual are they lying awake all night worrying I, about me no. uh, so <laughs> more often sitting watching the, you know you, you, you're sitting you've had this really stern conversation with a member of staff you've heartfelt you're going to do everything you can for them um, and they take, they take it on board they've got tears rolling down their face and, and then you hear the following day they're away telling everybody that the boss is a tosser you right. think wait a minute right. um, so you learn quite quickly um, but no I'm blunt I'm definitely blunt we've mm -hmm. got to be what's the point of not being blunt I think it's a Glasgow trait Danny um, <laughs> when I went to work in England it was funny I'd, um, because in certain parts of England not all of England I'm not generalising it but I'd go down to work in Oxford and things and different parts of Oxford and these sites and they were like horrified that I'd been put into help them. you can imagine <laughs> there's this guy that's got no hair doesn't pronounce words properly he doesn't have a degree what right has he got to come in and then very quickly they're like hold on a minute we're selling more cars more labour hours more parts we're making more money why is everyone happier all of a sudden um, but they were still coming in late leaving early thinking that that was the job and no, sadly it's not no. that's the way to do it do you know there must be a massive shift in how you sell in the motor trade. Um, everything's getting revolutionised um, in terms of the way the consumers act. Um, one of the reasons why I started Ascendo Digital because uh, I've made every balls up under the under the sun when it comes to sales. Yeah. Uh, I've made every single sales mistake. I'm not unlike you. I'm not a, an actual salesperson. I kind of had to grow into that. I was a I was a techie, but I went at it as a technical person does try to solve a problem and it's it's a Rubik's Cube that fights back and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You're, you're never going to be solved but um, fundamentally my customers um, in Data Vita obviously we are, we are selling kind of high-end data centre services but they've completely changed how they buy they used to tolerate our sales process because it was the only way to buy something so you'd yeah. put them in at the start and we'd go all the way through it but now because of social media the information they have to hand um, the the choice people working from home they are not wanting to speak to people they actually can totally bypass your sales process they make their decision before they come anywhere near your business because they all do research and watch videos and your industries must be a nightmare for that yeah, yeah. Um, so it's how do you still capture somebody without putting them into your sales process and that's just the, the thing I've really had to do a full pivot on uh, rather than saying right customer this is how we're going to sell to you like, no they're deciding. Uh -huh. I find it some of it as an advantage and some of it as a disadvantage. Bear in mind, of course, I'm the absolute... I'm trying to get free consultancy here, by the way. <laughs> Bear in mind, I'm, I'm the absolute optimist. So uh -huh. I'd never look at anything as being a negative. I look at it as being it's just a different way. And if we can then take the different way, get ahead of the curve a little bit with it, be better than our competitors, so that we've acknowledged early that there's a different way, then we take the customer's way um, and make it into our way as quickly as we possibly can. So um, there were some huge changes now in our industry 
that happened round about COVID because the businesses are so heavily geared that you needed to keep selling um, and people still had a desire which was incredible they've been told by the government to stay at home not go out and, and, and they're buying cars <laughs> yeah. online like uh. more than we'd ever seen and at that point we'd, most of the, the certainly the owner operated franchise businesses are owner operated independents didn't have an online process for a customer to follow it was all guy come down to show him mate we'll show you the car and that was like an old fashioned motor trade process it wasn't as crude as that but um, so we spent some money not a huge amount of money to create some kind of customer journey but now the customer journey um, happens behind the scenes very much uh, between all the different places they can view the products they can virtually get involved in the product without um, getting involved in the actual salesperson um, there are a number of things that are changing by age of people so obviously my oldest daughter's 16 um, she doesn't want to talk to a human normally no. so they'll go into a restaurant and looking for the QR code now when we're looking for the waitress I mean uh-huh. um, they're looking for, and I'm thinking the service is slow in here and I was looking for ready ordered to uh-huh. keep up <laughs> um, so as that re- that generation comes through and they're going to revolutionise the sales process again um, and even down to the product of cars if you're going to take there's an element of branding that's going to go amiss unfortunately and you can see that with the likes of Tesla so Tesla's a huge brand but up until not that long ago it was a nothing brand nobody had ever heard of them and then go and take BMW for instance that is steeped in motor racing heritage that goes back to the horse and cart that, but does a 16, 17 year old care about that? Not a thing not yeah. interested in it all they're interested in is how does it interact with their lifestyle Can I watch Netflix on Absolutely oh, okay. Can I get in with my phone interact with it mm-hmm. um, Will I be will I put my social status and, and are they going to like it am I going to enjoy driving it um, and the actual driving thing it was really important to you and I when we were 17, 18 to pass our driving test really quickly kids that they are not in the same hurry um, I've launched an agenda for that to try and change the world uh, when that up one person at a time so we're putting 12 people through their driving test next year for nothing oh, wow. in the Highlands um, you've got to be to try and get this right uh, you've got to be 17 to 24 to qualify and um, the the last of the applicants come in at the end of November but nearly a thousand applicants um, and it's a lot of money now it's, like, it's going to cost a bit of 10 grand to do that but what do I get out of it I get a nearly a thousand databases than have before I've got the 12 people we put through we get to follow their social media journey so I think the, people, the way people buy cars has changed um, and why they buy cars has changed what the user can for has changed um, the government doesn't help because for every day they put any doubt on the future of is it electric is it no electric is it hybrid is it no hybrid um, when there's any doubt comes into customers mind what to buy they tend to just not buy I do nothing um, they tend mm-hmm. to do nothing so we then have to spend even more money trying to push our products in front of the services of customers um, but yeah we embrace the digital journey we spend a lot of money on it we spend a lot of money in following you about once you've been on our website we spend a lot of money by filtering you through um, the process that you want to follow um, but we're still there to catchy and when you're buying a car and predominantly a second hand car um, to actually have a shot in it and touch it and see if you like it um, is really important we've gone from we'd never buy clothes online because how do we know we're going to like them to that's now the only place we're buying them and we've gone from how could you ever buy a car online to now people buy cars online all the time mm-hmm. um, but they drive them for a wee while and they, some of them I don't want to badmouth only online manufacturers or only online retailers but some of them never lasted and mm-hmm. um, there's some of them posting losses right now that are going to put them out the game very very quickly and that's not because the online channel is not the channel it's just that's not the only channel 
So they've set their business up that that's the only channel that you can only buy it online and not realising that the market's not quite there yet. It may become one day, but it's not there today. But even the amount of information, and I'm finding this as well, um, it was great, I guess, back in the olden days when somebody walked into your branch and you could tell them how much their trading was worth. Yeah, yeah. They now know. It's better, though. Aye. Because consumers used to think their car was like a fine wine. It went up in fucking value. <laughs> so like, I've driven this. This for, ladder. Oh, I, I, I bought this car last year and it was always the same collection of customers. It was not to, uh, it, was, it was the Volvo Volkswagen Honda customers that bought a car and um, and had it two years. They paid 12 grand for it and still wanted 14 for it because uh-huh. I've looked after it and put new tyres in it. And it's worth six. Yeah. So you'd be sitting with that customer in this rather fraught negotiation over their trading price as if we were the baddie. But now what they do is they go into any online forum, we buy com's one, Aye. tells them what it's worth. It's to within hundreds now, not thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we get into negotiations with a customer over their part exchange price, either the customer's got it wrong and put the wrong mileage in and then valued it online. We use our competitors' online ad, uh, party change valuation tools with our customers so the customer give them a wee bit more well, no we'll just say to the customer that's what's worth oh I don't uh-huh. like what we've been in and it's, funny how, it's worth. and it's funny how they trust that yeah yeah because it's on the internet yeah no, and they'll uh-huh. trust a car well, why would you trust a car salesman I know, exactly. uh, we're, the, we're, we're the lowest of the low um, but no we, there was definitely I mean the history of the industry was if the customer didn't know what their car was worth it gave the dealer the opportunity of nicking it um, and you would think then that these motor dealers made billions out of nicking cars but they bought it for they, they undersold it anyway I mean they, they would nick it off the customer and sell it to the next customer for less mm-hmm. than it was worth probably because they were working for some kind of fixed margin in a lot of, a lot of businesses um, but no it's helped I think a lot of the online processes have helped have not hindered the businesses that they have hindered are the ones that are too rigid to their own sales process and think that their own sales process to maybe answer your free consultancy question if you looked at your own internal processes that suited your business at the time and they may still suit your business but they may not necessarily suit your consumer and if your consumer is trending down another line you've got to very very quickly without procrastinating in any way put their system with yours um, still with some kind of ability to rein it in um, but you've just got to join the two together if you don't make it easy for the customer they'll shop somewhere else yeah and what what we see time and time again is customers uh, businesses worry about right I'm measured on this um, it's all about EBITDA it's about these uh, metrics Customer, your customer doesn't don't care. No, they no. don't don't care. And if it comes across when you're trying to sell them something, that that's what it is. They they go somewhere else. Yeah. And what they can do, um, and the car industry is worse than ours. But the amount of research they can do before eighty yeah. percent of their buying decisions already made. Like people must come into your dealerships and have watched every single online review of the model of car they're going to buy. They know all yeah. the options. They know they can get the chrome dust covers. They, 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 yeah. they, they, they can go with that. So Sometimes online information um, can be confusing and until you you know far more about it than I've mm. ever know, just understanding how it works. But you're going to take even nowadays an opinion on something, if something's any good or it's not, or a review-based something. So quite often the customer thinks that because that review board of that particular car has come up first in a Google search, it's right. Mm-hmm. But it just means that that company's paid more to be at the top of the screen. It doesn't mean the information's right, um, but the, the actual manufacturers themselves of products, cars in particular, uh, the information that's on their website is right, because if it's not, it's libelous. Um, the other companies that sit outside that with opinion-based information, our customers come in confused between the two. So they come in with, your manufacturer's website saying this, but this forum says X, Y, and Z. Um, so unfortunately, they can do all the research under the sun and talk themselves out of buying something that was actually 
Aye, it was never an issue in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Carwell guy's done well with that because he does reviews and they're always the same. It's the same format. Yeah, what guy's that? The the Matt guy is it the Matt Watson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <clears> yeah. And he he reviews cars all the same way, and it's uh, I've got three kids. It's always can you fit three baby seats in the back? And he puts them in, and you, can, them. And you can see yeah. how how many how much stuff can you get in the boot. So. Um, What's it like to drive? What does that button do? And the format's always the same. And it's a great way of being able to compare. Yeah, and people probably believe it. Aye. I think if, if his, then that's his process. If his process is robust um, and consistent and it's easy to follow, mm-hmm. then I suppose that's back to the question right at the beginning. Is, but they're still trying to sell you cars. Of course they no, are. Uh, but keep the process simple. Do you used to um, do that, the, the online bidding thing? Now when, so the car wow, for instance, I, I, I sound like I work for them, but... Uh, <laughs> You would go and say, right, I want a BMW 3 Series and it'll go to every de- dealer and yeah. say, what have you got? And you'll give a price and the person can buy it from that. Do you partake in that type Ca- of... Yeah, we've been involved in Carway, not just the business I'm in, it's now the industry in general. I've been involved in other businesses before I was in Inverness. Um, we've dipped in and out over the years. They've changed, so they've had to change. Right. So Carway had a process where you were it was a race to the bottom for price mm-hmm. so the cheapest the guy that was willing to sell the new car for, it was predominantly new cars right. the guy that was going to sell the new car at the lowest price was the one that was going to win the business because why would they not all brand new cars are exactly the same so it's not as if one's in better condition or lower mileage than the other so it was a race to the bottom but then Carway realised that dealers were not subscribing to their services because the landscape's fairly vast. So would somebody in Inverness, for instance, that's there, why would they travel all the way down to Manchester just to save 300 quid? So they wouldn't. So they ended up having to regionalise so you put your postcode in first now Aye. and uh-huh. regionalise other than just a race to the bottom. Um, so they've had to change based on consumers. They're like, hold on a minute. Why did that, that customer show interest initially? We've seen them, we've followed them all the way through the digital journey on our website, but they gave up. Why did they give up? And that's because the cheapest car was 600 miles away. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing Aye. that. Aye. Um, and no, the dealer that's nearest them are not even subscribing to us. Why are they mm-hmm. not subscribing to us? Because it's a race to the bottom and what's the point? It's going to cost the customer that in fuel anyway. Any time they get there and take a day out, their life um, so I can't really, all these platforms the greatest thing about those platforms that the motor trade have learned from significantly um, over the years is the simplicity of it because it's simple it's quite easy to follow you don't need to go into 20 different websites to see 20 different cars mm-hmm. you go into one website and see 20 different makes and models um, which has simplified it for the consumer anything that simplifies the process for the consumer works aye no, yeah. absolutely so um, what advice would you give folks Come into a dealership to buy a car. What what should they do and what shouldn't they do? Well, I don't know if I've ever been asked that before in my life. I've certainly given away all the, the secrets here. Uh, um, I think they should set enough time aside. Um, we find sometimes customers are, they've got a morning to go and have a look around some cars. It's a pretty big purchase. You wouldn't just give yourself a morning if you were buying a house. No. And some cars nowadays are the price of houses. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to buy a car and spend some money and you're going to be based, you're going to, you're going to drive that car for the next three years and base your life around it for the next two years, three years, give yourself some time. Mm-hmm. So if you're coming into a dealership to explore all the options, to have a proper drive in it, not making a 40, 50 grand decision after a 50 minute drive around the block. Mm-hmm. Every dealer just now um, worth their salt, MD actually cares 
about having another deal out that customer in two, three, four years' time. The customer says, do you mind if I take it away for a couple of hours? Nobody's going to say no. Um, there might be some scenarios where it's not physically possible. Right. The car might not be available for that uh, purpose or it might be they don't have a new demonstrator in stock to give you a longer drive. But take your time, just come in and take your time. Um, and even down to taking your time with, uh, with the salesperson, we're just doing our best. We're trying to help you and the perception is that... No, that's a perception, uh, uh, isn't it? Yeah. But fundamentally, um, the customer's not going to buy a car unless they like the car, like the figures, and like the person they're dealing with. Uh, sometimes there's exceptions, and the exception is if the product is very desirable and there isn't an awful lot of them out there and the price of it's right, they'll put up with the sales and not been right. Uh -huh. And vice versa, if the product, there's lots of them, you can buy one anywhere and it's just the same price as anywhere, but you really like the sales and you'll buy it from that guy. So mm -hmm. and these, these systems all work exactly the same way. But take your time would be my first, um, don't rush into it. Um, and it, when it comes down to you've got a car to trade in, then um, the amount of customers that bring their car down to me for me to give them all the money in the world, you should see the state of it. Yeah, clean um, yeah, I mean, um, you're expecting us to, yeah, we can see through the dark, but you don't need to service it or put a set of tyres in it. But sometimes we'll open the boot to have a look round the car and there's, it's full of garden waste. I mean, aye. you just think the person has a really, it's, been aye, it's not been looked aye, after yeah. at all and have a look at it and have things accessible. So if you have serviced the car every year, um, then we don't want to go rooting through your glove box looking for the service, but be prepared. Yeah, leaving the seat. Come in aye, and go, aye. listen, here's the, here's the service, this is what I've done, this is the money I've spent in the car and I've really looked after it. So do yourself a favour and bring it to the attention of the person that's buying it. Um, and then when it comes to this, just take your time with it. The, the funny thing with the car is it's made up of millions of moving parts and there's every chance with anything you buy, whether it's this microphone in front of us or the, the cameras, anything you buy, there's always a chance it's going to go wrong. And if that dealer's established, they've been there a long time, there's a bit of consistency in the sales team. Um, you ask the sales, and hey, how long have you been here? All started last Tuesday. Um, then why is there such a high turnover of, of people in that business? If the business has got staff that've been there a long time, there's every chance that when something isn't 100% or a light comes on, you're unsure about it. You can phone, you'll still be there right. and he'll help you. So uh, these things are, are really important. And that's when sometimes the race to the bottom to buy the car 600 quid cheaper out the dealer isn't in Manchester the right isn't the right thing to do. Take your time, make sure the dealer you're buying it from and take some advice off the people that, that matter to you. So if your, your auntie, your uncle, your brother, your sister's right. been buying off that dealer and always been looked after, um, the chances are they'll look after you too. It's not a coincidence. No. People assume that there's massive margins in the motor industry. Like you're, you're absolutely making massive profit of in each individual car. Yep. Is that true? Is that So all this information is available out there, um, so I'm not giving away any secrets. Aye. So mm -hmm. the absolute best um, operator in the UK right now of a retailer, not the manufacturer, so the best motor group is returning 3% return in turnover. 3%? And they're the best. And they're the best, 3% um, return in turnover. Uh -huh. So um, 3%, that's after everything. Um, and you can't make too many mistakes no, with you that, can't, can you? You can't, you can't make <laughs> any. Um, you can't make any. And uh, 3%, so you don't actually have huge, huge margins. Do cars go at a loss sometimes and all? Do they? Mass, all the time. Aye. Yeah, all the time. Um, just so, want to get rid of it. Well, not even Aye. that. It could be that it's just not a desirable product. So if you're a clothes shop and you brought in a whole load of product that is going to suit people through the summer months, you end their stomach putting it in boxes, sticking it up the stairs, and bringing it back out with the sunshines uh, or, you need, the or you need the money back in the bank to buy in the winter stock because yeah. endless amounts of money um, we've had a shift very recently where the, the government moved to push electric cars further down the line it's taken the value of a second hand electric car and slaughtered it by like 25-30% so every used electric car that we had in stock up until last month was sold at a loss
Um, and that's just because they're simply worthless. Will it return? Probably. Um, you can't wait. But no, I, I can't uh, wait. I might have half a million pounds tied up in them, so mm-hmm. I simply can't wait. Uh-huh. Um, Free the cash up and go again. And have another go. I might, I might even go and buy another, I might replace it with another electric car. Mm-hmm. Um, but that electric car's now at the right market value. And I've got uh, you bought it at the right price. Yeah. Aye. Uh-huh. Um, but just free the cash up and start again. Mm-hmm. Um, and not be scared to do it. You've got to do it. Um, you've got to do it. You've got to turn the, uh, turn the product. There's no point in any inventory that lies about. It doesn't matter what your product is, does it got in value? Aye. Unless you're in the antique trade. <laughs> <laughs> or specialist cars. Yeah. So what's next for you, Fraser? Well, we're just about to conclude the, the final part of, of buying the rest of the shares so the purpose of moving Timberness in the first place um, was So you went in there a third didn't you? Yeah I, b- uh-huh. I bought just over um, just over 25% of the company initially which gave me a little bit of control and the only control 25% Above gives you means that the rest of the shareholders can't just sell from under you. Uh-huh. You've actually got a you've got a vote in a say. But on that, there's not um, much. Is there? No, no, but no, you've no. got tag along and drag along rights uh-huh. where you can actually get involved in it. And I had written into the articles when I when I first got involved uh, that I was offered at first. So if the if the family decided or the founding family decided they were selling, written into the articles was I was offered the opportunity first. So that came around. I bought another um, six or seven percent the following year. It stalled a wee bit over COVID, as you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Came out the other side of COVID. Um, went back to it's an interesting scenario because up till COVID I was running the business and behaving like a managing director I was going back down the road on a Thursday night and coming back up on a Sunday night and going for lunch and going for meetings mm-hmm. and the business was doing fine and then of course we shut for six to eight weeks for COVID and then opened up on a very restricted basis uh, I went back up the road and started doing 100 hours a week again mm-hmm. and working every weekend again working until 7, 8 o'clock at night again and just took advantage of the market that was there and I knew if I did it then my deal with my, my but people would follow me um, and everybody since COVID has worked harder than we've probably ever done in their life but we've gone from the company turning over 24 million to 50 million in the last three or four years absolutely doubled it gone from three sites to five going to open a sixth um, into in next year um, so, I, so I'm going to buy the rest of the shares off of the founding family we'll conclude that this year so it's, it's taken a bit of time this year to get all the, the ducks in line and get the funding from the banks and the support and um, and that's another great example when the, when the banks and, and, and a I can disclose in the next uh, couple of weeks who it is and things. I wouldn't disclose it just now, but uh, when I was still on the phone to him at nine o'clock at night, and the, the business manager from that particular bank, uh, because he's a salesman too, Aye. Um, Aye, he, no, want, he, he wanted, wants to, lend he wanted you the to cash. deal too, and, yeah. um, and, and was trying to piece the thing mm-hmm. together. Uh, so I'll get that over the line. So um, rolling the dice again. Yeah, so uh, here we go again. Uh-huh. Um, here we go again. When's enough enough? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, uh, I'll take it on. My, my senior team, I put a young board of directors in place and my senior team are going to start buying shares off of me um, for a couple of reasons. One, I don't want them to leave me. Uh-huh. Um, I want them to have a vested interest. I want them to get a return on the company's profits, which they do through bonuses anyway, but I want them to get it through to, through dividends as well. Um, and then uh, as time goes on, I've, I don't have that much vanity. I want them to keep buying bits off me um, and that'll free me up to invest in other things. I'll never come out of the industry. The next uh, opportunity for me will just be to buy more motor businesses in and uh-huh. around where I am. Um, uh, Are you going to come back down? I, I think uh, I'd, I'll never bring motor businesses down here. I, I wouldn't do that. I don't yeah. think unless something it's changed. Oversaturated. Absolutely. And it's yeah. oversaturated with the same operators and yeah. it's difficult. Um, it's not. It's, it's just a different, different environment. Uh, would I open up a handful of sites in Northern Ireland? Yeah, probably. Would I, um, would I get into different parts of kind of rural England? Yeah, I might. Uh, different parts of rural Scotland are diff- difficult. Do so you think that's a niche, that, um, that rural community? 
I think if you understand the community and you're willing to serve them properly, uh -huh. um, a lot of people make the mistake in national groups thinking you can serve a rural community the same way you can uh -huh. a city community, you can't. Um, and a lot of people thought I, I came from the city and I would go up to Inverness and they'd be like, how do you find it up here? Is it not about quiet? And you're like, I live on a farm. No, <laughs> 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 yeah. that's quiet. Uh -huh. this is actually, there's quite a lot going on up yeah. um, So no, I, I wouldn't come down to the big smoke, I don't think. Um, a lot of businesses say where the chimney pots are or where the money is. Um, and as much as Inverness is rural, it's one of the fastest growing um, populations. I think nationally the population grows at 1%, Inverness is at like 3 oh, right. Um It's huge and it's growing. It's getting closer. Eventually Inverness and Aberdeen will be joined together at some mm -hmm. point, I would imagine, similarly to, uh, to Glasgow and Edinburgh and the towns in between. Uh, so I'll buy the, the remaining shares in this company and, and grow it. I'd like to take it to 100 million uh, turnover and um, if we can if we can do that. And my team are young, my team are in their 40s, early 40s. So, so is this aiming for an exit? or No, I think everyone's got to... Uh, I don't want to die in the seat, Danny. Right. <laughs> um, if I can avoid it, if uh -huh. I can avoid popping my clog sitting there, uh -huh. if I were in a car, I would... Um, <laughs> But I'm not. I don't do holidays. I've uh, I've got some things. My recreation is played in the band normally, mm -hmm. other than anything else. But no, I, I take such a, a a huge amount of enjoyment from running my businesses and the people around about me. It's not about the cars. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking, "Oh, you must really love cars." It's just that's the commodity. Right. Um, but to take the volumes of money and turn it over and use the mechanism so that we have that work and the team that we have around about me and develop the people around about me, um, I get such a buzz out of that to watch them. I, the people that I uh, either hired or they were there when I took over five years ago to where they are now and what they're earning themselves to how much confidence they have in the last five years because as we all agree I've never had any lack of that no. so if I can if I can teach people how to be a bit more confident in what they do then uh, then that's what I'll continue to do but no no exit strategy no exit strategy I, I think um, you'll keep going you always keep going because um, you love to be involved and you love chasing a deal no matter if it's a, a horse a camel or a car I don't think it ain't yeah. going to matter to you so Fraser really appreciate you coming on my friend thanks for having me have you enjoyed it absolutely loved it excellent yeah. All right. thanks Danny cheers, cheers. thank you bye